Good morning. Wonderful to be with you all today for having me. As Jeff said, my name is Seth McCormick. During the week, you can find me at Ronald Memorial Hospital. I'm a staff chaplain there Monday through Friday. Hopefully, you won't see me there. I'd rather you not be there. But if you have to be there, Unfortunately, my family and my wife, Caitlin, is home with our two little ones and our 12-year-old. We're grateful to you here and you all today. We're Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I was relieved that Jeff opened the service with a golfing illustration. I knew that my uh, opening football illustration might be received. How many of you are diehard NFL fans feel this crap happened this last week? The nickname given to the very last pick of the very last round of the NFL draft. So the way it works, there are seven rounds, and so in this draft, the very last pick was the 259th draft selection. And the player who gets picked last in that last round gets called Mr. Irrelevant, typically because they don't make much of an impact in the, in the league. After each draft, the new Mr. Irrelevant and his family, they get uh, flown out to spend a, a week out in California. Uh, in Newport Beach. They're given a trip to, to Disneyland, all kinds of different uh, dinners and functions in their honor. They participate in a golf tournament and a regatta. Uh, they attend a, a roast and a ceremony, and they're given a trophy. Now, if I, if I do this gesture, how many of you know what this is? The Heisman. So they're, they're Mr. Relevance trophy, it's of him fumbling the football. So it's a, it's a fun week for this uh, NFL draft pick. Uh, seventh round picks hardly have any expectation in the NFL. Uh, this year's pick, Toledo defensive lineman Deswan Johnson has some big shoes to fill, though, because last year's Mr. Irrelevant became very relevant. Uh, if you follow football at all, you may remember that Brock Purdy was the quarterback for the, the third string quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he was Mr. Irrelevant, and he catapulted to stardom at the end of the season. Uh, he was the first Mr. Irrelevant to complete a forward pass in a regular season game, the first Mr. Irrelevant to ever throw a touchdown in a regular season game. He became the first rookie quarterback to beat Tom Brady in their first start. My wife loves that because she despises Tom Brady. Uh, first, he was the first Mr. Irrelevant to rush for a touchdown in that same game. 
Purdy would go on to finish the season 7-1. and one. Uh, He was the first Mr. Irrelevant to start and win a playoff game, the first Mr. Irrelevant to win a divisional game, and the first Mr. Irrelevant to play in the NFC Championship. You get the picture, he did a lot. Uh, an unprecedented number of firsts. Unfortunately, like the two quarterbacks before him, he also got injured uh, at the end of the season, and so it's questionable as to whether he'll start this season. But in the end, uh, Brock Purdy overturned a lot of expectations. Well, in the passage that I'm going to be reading for us and preaching from today, Matthew 21, 1 through 17, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles there. This passage looks at Jesus, who could also be given the title Mr. Irrelevant. After all, Jesus came from Nazareth, which was considered a a backwater town compared to Jerusalem. Remember what Nathaniel the disciple said when Philip told him that Jesus was from Nazareth. Nathaniel said, Can anything good? Come out of Nazareth? So apparently, Nazareth had quite a a suspect reputation and was considered an irrelevant town. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 21, 1 through 17, and let us hear God's inspired and inerrant, infallible, trustworthy word. I'll be reading from the, the ESV. Matthew 21, 1 through 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear 
what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The word of the Lord for his people today. Thanks be to God. So in this triumphal entry passage, we see Jesus overturning the expectations of all those in Jerusalem. Overturning the Messiah expectations. Jesus, the Messiah King, came on a, a humble donkey, not on a war horse. We read the prophet, or Matthew quotes Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, 9 and through 10. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, in our passage, Jesus specifically tells the disciples to go in verse 2, and that this donkey, this colt, would be waiting for them. And they was tied there, and they were to bring them to Jesus. Jesus wanted to overturn their Messiah expectations by entering into Jerusalem on the most humble animal there was. Jesus would come in as the Messiah, the King of Peace, not a warring soldier. Not someone who was going to overthrow Rome like most Jews had hoped and expected that Jesus would do. No, Jesus overturned their Messiah expectations by riding in humbly, meekly on an animal, on a donkey. On a donkey that does not send a message of war. Think about it. When you think of horses, don't you think of war? Horses pull chariots. Think of Ben-Hur. Horses are strong. They're fast. For any of you Lord of the Rings fans, I think of Rohan, the kingdom of the horse lords. Horses like Shadowfax, Gandalf's white steed. But most obviously, we think of Christ riding on a white horse, bringing final victory over all his and our enemies as the King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19. John wrote in Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That, brothers and sisters, is a scene of power, of might. That is what the Jewish people had hoped their Messiah would be bringing into Jerusalem. 
But in Matthew 21, that's not the image, that's not the scene that Jesus brings on that first Palm Sunday. He comes as a different kind of Messiah King that day. He comes as one humble and meek, riding a donkey. Jesus was overturning their Messiah expectations. I wonder for you all today, has Jesus ever overturned your expectations? When did Jesus stop being Mr. Irrelevant in your life? For far too many people today, Jesus is a, a genie that we call on when we need him to fix something in our lives. For far many too church for far many for far too many church attenders, Jesus is a, a get out of jail free card. It's it's fire insurance. For many cultural Christians today, we take advantage of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran theologian who stood up to the Nazis. For many cultural Christians, we go by what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. We have to remember that while Jesus came humbly, meekly on a donkey, he is not to be taken for granted. For there will come a day when he comes on the white horse of judgment. And in our culture of easy believism, we need to have Jesus once again overturn our expectations. Jesus came as the humble Messiah King to overturn our expectations. If we continue in the passage, looking at verses 12 and 13, we see that this humble Messiah King next overturns their worship expectations with his cleansing of the temple. As you probably know, that the temple, the sacrificial system, was the way of life for the nation of Israel for over a thousand years. Jews spread throughout the Roman Empire would come to Jerusalem to make sacrifice. And as you can imagine, it wasn't easy to walk from the far throes of the empire to come to Jerusalem. What if their animals got hurt? The, the, the Old Testament is clear that God forbade anything less than a perfect animal to be sacrificed. They had to be unblemished. Well, how can you be a traveler coming from North Africa and keep your sheep perfectly safe. Not to mention the temple tax. They had to have some sort of system to exchange the, money, the monetary system so to be involved in the temple worship. So like everything that we humans get involved with, it becomes stained. It becomes corrupted. There's a service of convenience and expediency and people were inevitably taken advantage of. Gentiles in particular were often hindered in their worship as the commerce took place in the outer courts where they 
we're supposed to worship. So along comes Jesus in verse 12. He enters the temple and he drives out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. You can almost hear the the squawking of the birds and the sound of coins hitting the ground. Jesus, the righteous Messiah from the line of David, overturned their worship expectations by driving out all those who bought and sold, the money changers. In essence, Jesus was flipping over. He was overturning their entire Jewish sacrificial system. He was paving the way for himself to be that sacrificial system. He wanted instead true prayer. He wanted true worship. He called the temple a den of robbers. He wanted it to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus knew that he was the purifier, and the people in the temple itself needed the purification. But the very ones with the, with the religious knowledge who should have seen Jesus coming didn't get it. The chief priests, the scribes, they were against this purification. They felt threatened. By cleansing the temple, Jesus was overturning their expectations. Jesus was challenging their authority. He was challenging the whole way of the religious life. He was challenging and overthrowing a system that dated back to Moses. Jesus knew he was the true sacrifice, the once-for-all-time sacrifice. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By cleansing the temple, Jesus was paving the way to the cross. So when did Jesus overturn your worship expectations? Wasn't it freeing to learn that it's not about what we do, but what Christ has done for us on the cross? These two passages that I'm about to read from the Apostle Paul speak for themselves. Romans 5, 1 through 2, 6 through 9 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God, shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans 5. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in the trespasses, in sins in which you once walked, 
We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But God. But God. Jesus overturned the worship, the Jewish worship, the sacrificial system. But God. He overturned the whole process of salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, That whoever believes, not a ram, not a sacrifice, but believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, unfortunately, I hear at the hospital all the time, Chaplain, I think I've been good enough to get into heaven. Jesus came to overturn those worship expectations. The former Mr. Irrelevant Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us. Jesus came as the humble, sacrificial Messiah King to overturn our expectations. So finally, Go back with me to verses 14 through 17, where we see this humble Messiah King. He heals, he receives the praise from the littlest, the least intimidating people in the crowd. And in doing so, Jesus is overturning their social expectations. If it wasn't already so much that the tables were flipped, and coins scattered, and and people run off, Now Jesus has the audacity to to heal the blind and the lame. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he reached out to those on the fringe. He let the bleeding woman touch him. He spit into the mud and placed it on the eyes of the blind man. He unstopped the ears of the deaf. He allowed the prostitute to anoint him with oil. He ate with the tax collectors. Jesus was with the untouchables, the unclean. You know how in school, growing up, there was the in crowd. Well, Jesus wasn't with the in crowd. Jesus overturned the social expectations about who you were seen with, who you ate with, who you talked to, how you spent your time. And yet, time and again throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus touch. We see Jesus heal. 
We see him cleanse. But then he always follows it up with, tell no one. Keep this quiet. Keep it on the down low. But now it's time for the secret to go public. It's time for the headlines to be made, for the cat to be out of the bag, for the video to go viral, the post to get reposted, the Twitter feed to, I don't know, Twitter pate? It's time for the people to know the truth. So Jesus responds to the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 16. He quotes the psalm that we just sang, Psalm 8, verse 2. And Jesus says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established praise. Jesus is overturning their social expectations. He's allowing these children. He was allowing the people on the road to praise him as he made his triumphal entry. He's getting the praise. The children got it. But the religious professionals who, who should have known and should have seen him coming, they did not. And they were angered. Angered that Jesus would accept this praise from the children, from the infants. In their minds, this was praise that was only meant for God. Craig Blomberg said that Jesus accepted worship that was reserved for God alone. To them, it was blasphemous what Jesus was doing. It was worthy of death on the cross. Though Jesus came as the humble, sacrificial Messiah King, it's this very claim that ultimately leads him and takes him to the cross. And so today I wonder what social expectations do we need to have overturned in our lives? Who might be our culture's equivalent to the blind and the lame? Would it be someone of a, a different political affiliation from you? Could it be a person on the, the opposite side of a hot-button issue? Or that mean coworker, or that difficult family member? Our culture is so divided. We unfortunately vilify everyone and anyone, especially if they don't see things exactly the way that we do. Maybe it's time we get back to unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and charity in all things. In a day where the church and culture is splintering over everything, maybe it's time we start singing again, and they will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus was about overturning expectations overturning expectations about who he was as a Messiah, not of war, not of revolution, but of peace and humility. Jesus was about overturning expectations about what worship looked like. It wasn't about sacrifices. It wasn't about the temple. It's not about what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Jesus was overturning social expectations, loving and seeing people through his eyes without sacrificing the truth. He didn't approve their lifestyle of sin. We love because Christ first loved us. 
1 John 4.19. In our culture today, many people would pick Jesus with the last pick in the final round of the religious and spirituality draft. And his church, his bride, would be given that Mr. Irrelevant trophy. So how can we, the church, the body of Christ, live faithfully to represent Christ who overturns the expectations? Even if the world deems the church Mr. Irrelevant, we can still be found faithful by honoring and glorifying the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his perfect life, his perfect work on the cross. Thank you for the ways that he loved, for the ways he saw others and touched others, healed others, interacted with others. Thank you for the ways that your Son's life and ministry overturned all the expectations of our world. God, we pray that you would be at work in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our lives today, this week. Move in us to see people as you see them. Help us to love as you love. Help us to call back from a place of sin to a place of repentance and confession and truth. God, help us to bring the words of life to a dying world who desperately needs you to save them, to save us from our sins, to save us from your wrath. God, do a good work in us today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to minister, to encourage those who need a word of encouragement, to heal those who need to be healed, and to challenge and exhort those of us who need to be pushed. May your Holy Spirit be at work, breaking our hearts of stone so that we might be plowable soil, ready for your word to be planted and to, to bear much fruit. God, help us to remain in you as you remain in us. Help us to abide in you today, this week. Bless us now and lead us to love and serve you, and to honor and glorify you in the world. Father, we are so thankful you are not, your Son, Jesus Christ, is not Mr. Irrelevant. That he is the most relevant person of all history. Thank you for sending him to this world. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. We bless you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray.